Well, this Good Friday, our sermon text is going to be Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. So let me invite you to turn now in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah 53. And as always, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardcover black one underneath the row in front of you, and you can find Isaiah 53 on page 614 of that Bible. Now, on Good Friday of all days of the year, we are trying to, we're attempting to, focus our attention on the cross of Christ. That's probably why you came here this evening to a church service like this. You set aside your Friday evening this weekend in order to hear from the scriptures what it is that Christ has done. In our brief time together tonight, I want us to consider for a moment why. Why Christ did all that we've heard about this evening. We've read tonight of the last moments of Christ's life, of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and the betrayal at the hands of Judas. We've read of his trial before the high priest and how the disciple Peter denied him three times. We've read of his being delivered over to Pilate and then being mocked and beaten and nailed to a cross, then lifted up to his ultimate death upon that cross. But the question we need to answer tonight is why? Why did all of this take place? Why did Christ go to the cross? I'll give you a spoiler alert. He did it to earn the salvation of all who belong to Christ. Dear Christian, all that we've read about this evening, Christ did that on your behalf. So let me read for us now from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord, as you take heed how you listen. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. And it is absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. Would you join me in prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so we ask now that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it to us. Help our minds to understand and our hearts to believe all that your word says. And so now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. With our short time together this evening, we're just going to walk through each of these verses to see why it is that Jesus did all that he did on the cross. So let's begin with verse 4, which says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now these words from the prophet Isaiah, they were written roughly 700 years before Christ would come. So 700 years before all the events that we've read about tonight... The the prophet Isaiah was proclaiming the work of Christ and what he would do on the cross. Specifically here, that he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. 
So in, in talking about our griefs and our sorrows, Isaiah is really talking about the effects of our sin. And we know that sin, our sins, have lasting, damaging effects on our lives. Our sins ought to bring about grief and sorrow in our hearts. Our sins ought to bring guilt and shame, and they have done that upon us. And Isaiah says that Christ has come to carry those griefs and those sorrows for us. Now the Hebrew word there, carried, quite literally means that he took the weight of those sorrows on himself. You might think of it this way. Earlier last week, I, I was taking out the trash, and I'd asked my two older sons to help with some of the process. And Levi, my oldest son, was determined to carry out the kitchen trash bag. And so I, I take it out of the can, and I tie it up for him, and he goes to pick it up. And, and this bag of trash probably weighed more than he did. But he, he tried with all of his might to pick it up and sling it over his shoulders and start walking towards the door. But as he was walking, the weight of the bag just fell upon him. He fell backwards onto the ground. Right? This little four-and-a-half-year-old boy couldn't carry the weight of that bag. He didn't have the strength. Well, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the weight of our griefs, when it comes to the weight of our sorrows, the effects of our sin, we don't have the strength either. We don't have the strength to carry those ourselves. We don't have the ability to deal with all of those within ourselves. We need somebody else to shoulder that burden. And that is exactly what Christ has done. Christ has taken all of those sins, all of the burden, all of the guilt of those sins, and he's taken it upon himself. Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. Surely he, he bore the penalty of our sins upon himself as he was hung on Calvary's cross. But do you see in verse 4 what our response was to what Christ has done? Surely he did all this for us, and yet the second part of verse 4 says, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now notice how the prophet Isaiah is using first-person plural pronouns. We esteemed him stricken. And so as we stand here today reading this text about 2,700 years after it was written, we're supposed to see ourselves in the we of this verse. If any of us had happened to be alive and present at the time of the crucifixion, if we had been walking by Golgotha and, and, and seen Christ upon the cross, you know what our response would have been? Any of us would have said, that man's getting what he deserved. After all, Deuteronomy 21 says that anyone who is hung upon a tree is cursed by God. So if we had been present that day, we would have considered Christ to be smitten, afflicted by God, as if Christ somehow deserved that death. As if somehow he had sinned and got what was coming to him. But we know this isn't the case. We know that Christ himself was sinless throughout the entirety of his life. He had perfectly fulfilled all of the law's commands. He didn't deserve to die upon that cross. We did. Because of our sin, 
because of our rebellion against God, we deserve to be stricken. We deserve to be smitten by God or struck by him. We deserve that death. And yet Christ, out of an abundance of love for his chosen people, stood in our place. This is what Isaiah says in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. In verse 5, we see clearly the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary meaning that Christ was our substitute. That he stood in our place. Like a substitute teacher stands in the place of the normal day-to-day teacher. Christ was our substitute. He stood in our place. And he did it to make atonement on our behalf. Meaning that he, he did it to bring about reconciliation between God and man. Or to bring about at one You could think of it that way. Between God and his people. And so this doctrine of substitutionary atonement is, is talking about Christ taking the guilt and punishment that we deserved upon himself. Now that word atonement ought to conjure up for us the memory of the day of the atonement. It's described in Leviticus chapter 16, when when Aaron the high priest would take a goat and he would lay his hands on the goat's head and then he would confess all of the sins of the people of God as if he was transferring the guilt into that goat. And then they would send the goat out into the wilderness to symbolize the guilt of the people's sins being removed from their presence. Friends, this is what Christ has done for us as our substitutionary atonement. He takes the guilt and the weight of our sins on himself. He removes the guilt from us as far as the east is from the west. Just think of how this is exemplified in verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. Pierced at the hand of the Roman soldier as the the spear went into Christ's side and blood and water poured out. Isaiah said that he did that, he endured that for our transgressions. For the sins that we have committed. For the rebellion that we have enacted against God's law. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, crushed here does, does not mean that Christ's literal bones were broken. John 19 goes to great lengths to make sure we know the bones of Christ were not broken on the cross. So this phrase crushed, it's a, it's a metaphor. The Hebrew word is used to describe somebody with great power crushing and pushing down and mistreating a weaker person which is exactly what happened to Jesus as the religious and political rulers of the day wielded their power to bring about the crucifixion of this innocent Christ. Well, he did that. He was crushed for our iniquities. When Christ stood on trial before Pilate, we need to realize that we are the ones who should have been standing trial. It was you and I who should have been put on trial and found guilty for all of our iniquities. But instead, Jesus himself was crushed for your iniquities. And then it says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace with God. Apart from a a right relationship with God, there can never be true peace in this life. 
Scripture regularly speaks of the unconverted man as an enemy of God, as hostile to God. And this is true because of the stains of our sin. We stand as enemies against a righteous and holy God. And yet, because he took the chastisement of the cross upon himself, we can have peace. He earned on our behalf a a right standing. He earned our justification, a right relationship with God the Father. Hear how the Apostle Paul put it in Colossians 1, 19-22. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now hear this. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Whereas you and I stood chastised, guilty, deserving of wrath, Christ stood in our place. And in doing so, he brought about peace and reconciliation between God and man. Then Isaiah says, with his wounds, we are healed. What exactly are we healed from? We are healed from the eternal effects of sin upon our hearts. We're healed from the death that we all deserve to die because of our rebellion against God. So without the blood of Christ shed on our behalf, we would be spiritually dead. We would stand as sinners before a just and holy God. We would be enemies of God, bound for hell and deserving of every punishment coming our way. Indeed, this is the condition of man without Christ. Consider how verse 6 puts it. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We see here the doctrine of total depravity. We've already seen our sinful position described in numerous ways throughout the text. Our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities. These are all describing how we've gone astray. So Isaiah writes, all we, collectively, the totality of mankind has fallen into sin because of the first sin of our father Adam. So because of Adam's sin in Genesis 3, every human has been born with sin nature. We've been born with the natural propensity to go astray from the Lord. This original sin has been passed down to each and every one of us. And he says, we have turned everyone to his own way. So this here is emphasizing our own personal sin. Not just the corporate collective sin of our father Adam that was passed down to all of us, but our own individual sins that we have committed on a daily basis. All of these we have done in turning our own way. Hear how Matthew Henry, the famous Puritan commentator, put it. We affront God in going astray from him. For we turn aside every one to his own way and thereby set up ourselves 
and our own will in competition with God and his will, which is the malignity of sin. So instead of walking obediently in the way of God, as we're supposed to do, each of us has willfully and stubbornly turned to our own way. The way of our own rebellious hearts, the way of our own corrupt appetites and disordered desires. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. The reality is this. Without Christ, we are poor, helpless sheep. We are poor, lost, and rebellious sheep trying to go our own sinful way. But friends, haven't you seen the worthlessness of sin? Haven't you seen how sin never takes you where you want to go? How sin never makes things better? That going your own way, while it may feel enjoyable for a moment... It ultimately and every time leads to hurt, to pain, and to spiritual death in the sight of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. But I want you to hear at the end of verse 6 the clear call of the gospel. If you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Christ your iniquity. This is the substitutionary atonement yet again. That the guilty verdict which you have earned because of your sin, because of your transgressions, because of your iniquities, all of it has been laid upon Christ Jesus on the cross. I want you to hear how the Apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. He writes that Christ committed no sin... Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, what great hope there is for those who are in Christ. While we were once like straying sheep, the Lord has laid on our good shepherd the iniquity of us all. Think about how Christ has lived and died in your place. For Christians, there is great hope. While we stood condemned, Christ stood in our place. While we were like sheep going astray, he was the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. However, if you're still living apart from Christ, if you're still an enemy of God, and you've not yet believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you need to recognize the weight of the sins that you've committed. You cannot carry that burden. You cannot fix yourself up and make yourself better and come to Christ. You could never do enough good works to ever cover the guilt of even one single sin. 
you must trust and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For surely he has borne your griefs. Surely he has carried your sorrows. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that can bring you peace. By his wounds you are healed. If you are presently living as a lost sheep, you need to turn to Christ. You need to trust in him. For the Lord has laid upon Christ the iniquity of all who belong to him. Let this Good Friday be the best of Fridays for you. Let this be the day of salvation when you trust in Christ as your substitutionary atonement who died in your place on the cross. Amen? Amen. Now in just a moment, I'm going to read the seventh and final narrative of our service tonight. And I'll be reading from John 19, 31 to 42. But I want you to notice something in this passage. Notice in the middle of the text how one of the Roman soldiers takes a spear and he pierces the side of Christ. When I read those words, I want you to call to mind all that we've just seen in Isaiah 53. That when Christ's side was pierced, he did it for you. He was pierced for your transgressions. Although you, like a lost sheep, have gone astray, the Lord has laid upon Christ all of your iniquity. So here now, the seventh narrative. Jesus' side is pierced and he's buried from John 19. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds, 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where, there, where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Amen.